Hello and welcome to another exciting podcast where today we're going to talk about negotiation, why it's important, why it's something that you should think perhaps a little bit more deeply about, perhaps you already are thinking about it you know, in some depth but you're not really sure how to negotiate beyond the absolute obvious. And the most common form of negotiation is just to negotiate over a position. So, you know, we have, I don't know, you, you want to sell me something, um, I'm thinking about buying it, and we haven't worked out a price. And so we basically haggle over the price and we go back and forth and back and forth. And what inevitably ends up happening is that one of, or both of us are going to leave money on the table because we create this dimension that's just the price point and the object, the product that one person's trying to sell and the other person's trying to buy and really gets thought about of, you know, how can this be more? And the biggest issue is that that's the most ineffective way to go about a negotiation because it's so fixed. You know, there's, there's, there's very, a very small amount of maneuverability that has been established at the outset. And so trying to extend that for the benefit of either side is nigh impossible because you're thinking about it purely in terms of I want him to come down to this number or I want him to come up or her <laughs> up to this number. And so, you know, the question arises, well, you know, that sounds kind of boring talking about negotiation. Well, no, because if you end up adding up through how ineffective you could leave yourself, how exposed you could leave yourself at the result of any negotiation, then you can learn about, gee, how much money could I actually have made? And the thing about negotiations is that you only really get better at it through experience. And, you know, so most wisdom comes from good experience. And most, uh, most of that is learned from bad experience, you know, so stuffing up and, and, and getting, getting swindled every now and then in your early years and, trying to um, make some money and losing sight of the bigger picture or losing sight of the possibilities of what you could do with a potential client is all really important stuff. But let's get into the, the nitty-gritty of it um, because it is, it is really interesting when you start to think about how you can actually negotiate better, how you can you know, go into a discussion armed with a better process uh, with a better angle, better knowledge about how you can go out, what you should be looking out for in the other person. Um, not so that you necessarily need to screw them over. That's not what we're trying to achieve. But so that you can create um, the, the perfect element to, cre- to create out of any negotiation is that they're happy, you're happy, and the relationship is great. Because that means that there can be continued transactions going on from there. So you got to be careful that in any negotiation, you're not trying to, you know, derail the other person because you never know in business when you're going to need, you know, that that relationship, that contact in the future. So it's important to always keep the the gates open and um, and to keep things positive and and not go into any negotiation in a malicious sense. You know, if you're going to be clever about something, it's better to be clever for both people going forward. That's a very important consideration to keep in the back of your mind. So don't bargain over positions. Any method of negotiation may be fairly judged by three criteria. Three criteria, sorry. It should produce a wise agreement if agreement is possible. It should be efficient. And 
it should improve or at least not damage the relationship between the parties. So once again, it should produce a wise agreement if agreement is possible. So it's mutually beneficial. It's not leaving uh, too much money on the table. It's not going to sacrifice for either person's business. Um, and the second is that it's efficient. You're not creating a mess that you're trying to negotiate over. It's very clean cut. It's very simple. It's effective. You know, in ideally every business relationship, what you really want to be able to do is have a conversation which ends in two people shaking hands, being sure about what their positions are, and then with the confidence of that knowledge, going away to work on whatever they need to work on to deliver to the other person. Now, when it gets bigger and the money gets bigger, then you need contracts, you know, for the security of the work and so forth and all that sort of stuff. But really, the more you can make it a shake hands type agreement, you know, the more you can make it so efficiently clear cut what is being agreed to and why it's good, the more efficient that is. So all the deliverables, for example, are clearly laid out. Uh, they can be achieved, you know, yada, yada, yada. Then, the final one, of course, it should improve or at least not damage the relationship between the parties. So, arguing over positions produces unwise agreements. If you're arguing over position, uh, they tend to lock themselves into positions. So, that the person on each side will, will just find themselves saying, okay, no, I'm not paying any more over this or I'm not dropping the price beyond here. The more you clarify your position and defend against attack, the more you, the more committed you become to it. So people become stubborn and start failing to see what it is they're losing in a broader sense. You know, and this comes back to human emotions and getting in the way of ourselves. But the more you try to convince the other side of the impossibility of changing your own position, the more difficult it becomes to do so. You know, your ego becomes identified with your position. You now have a new interest in saving face, in reconciling future action with past positions, making it less and less likely that any agreement will wisely reconcile the party's original interests. So from the outset, you're essentially setting the stage for something which is not going to work. And if you want someone to come across to you, if you want to, someone to work with you, well, you have to show that you're going to work with them. You have to show that you're thinking about it more broadly, more effectively, that you're thinking about it in the macro sense of how is this going to benefit us over a greater period of time and then how is that relationship going to enable us to both achieve other things to leverage into benefit down the line. And you know that's going to be in ways that are going to be obvious from the outside and perhaps the bonus is maybe what it'll come about in ways that aren't obvious but are going to be great. So you know, as more attention is paid to positions, less attention is devoted to meeting the underlying concerns of the parties. Agreement becomes less likely, and any agreement reached may reflect a mechanical splitting of the difference between the final positions rather than a solution that's been carefully crafted to meet the legitimate interests of the parties. And you know, that result is frequently an agreement that's less satisfactory to both. So it's inefficient because Bargaining over positions creates incentives that stall settlement. It takes longer. It draws out something which is you know, unnecessarily tedious when you could have already got the project started, you could already have the economic benefits occurring, and you could already be capitalizing on that relationship.
So it's in your interests, regardless of what side of the table you're sitting on, for the process to be as efficient and be as wise as possible. So, you know, in positional bargaining, you try to improve the chance that any settlement reached is favorable to you by starting with an extreme position. We see this in real estate all the time. By stubbornly holding on to it, by deceiving the other party as to your true views, you know, rather than saying, look, you know, I, I really want this amount of money. People go into this, you know, uh, peasant market format of, of saying, you know, haggling over a, a teapot or, or something. And just, oh, I don't really think this is worth $3. No, $7 is the price, you know, and then they try and come down to $4.50 or something. But they do it in hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in the real estate market. And it's just silly, but that is how they—that is how they operate. That is how they believe they can control, rather than considering it and in, in a, from a better position. Like, how much? How's this actually going to help us? They let their their ego be tied to their position, and it ends up blowing up in their face. So, each of those factors tends to interface with reaching a settlement promptly. The more extreme it will take to discover whether or not agreement is possible. So where each decision not only involves yielding to the other side, but will likely produce pressure to yield further, a negotiator has very little incentive to move quickly. So they end up dragging their feet, threatening to walk out, stonewalling, blah, blah, blah. And, and it becomes completely ineffective. Arguing over positions endangers an ongoing relationship. Right, that was the third thing. And it's key. It's so vital. Because relationships you learn become pivotal you know you're only as good as your last job in any service industry when you're your own boss and Elon Musk talks about it really well when he says you know when you're directing the strategy when you're working out what is going to be the most uh, economically beneficial um, you know market driven but progressive move for a company strategy to make it's equal parts chewing glass and staring into the abyss because you constantly um, have the anxiety of is the decision I'm making a really good one and you know all the all the shit you have to deal with in the day-to-day of running your business and making sure everyone is doing their job and so when it comes down to the the day-to-day negotiation over any kind of principle is, is is really really important to get done as effectively and efficiently as possible and having the relationships be bound and be strong and leaving them in, in good form and good stead means that that job that is already so difficult doesn't become any more you know tiresome any more inefficient you're able to just have these conversations with the you know clients you have relationships with in really simple terms in very clear terms and then you move on from there and here's the other thing if you find that you're um, faced with a potential new client that is really just uh, they they suck at negotiating things they they stonewall they take forever they stick to a position they tie their ego to that position then just it's okay to not need their money it's okay to just say ah fuck this guy's not money because you actually send a message when you do that. I mean, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you've only got one person, you depend on all their money. That's from 
comes from leaving yourself exposed early on and uh, being too narrow in the outlook of your services and so forth um, or your industry. But being able to turn around to someone who's being, you know, difficult and stonewalling and not being productive and not being efficient, saying, look, I think that this is not becoming the most effective um, uh, relationship here. Clearly, um, you've got a strong position that you're holding, that you want a certain you know, number or, or that this is what you want. It doesn't seem that you're open to maneuvering outside of that. So I'm ready to nip this in the bud here and we just both move on. You know, and that isn't necessarily a tactic. You've got to mean that. You've got to be happy to do it. And I don't turn around and say, no, 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 no. Well, then say to them, look, I'm happy to continue it, but I want to stop this going back and forth. I want to get to an efficient middle ground. And this nonsense of me coming back and forth is wasting my time. Um, it's not effective to us having a productive relationship going forward. And it's completely inefficient. And so either we need to come to a agreement that's, uh, in both of our interests that that's uh, broader or whatever it needs to involve um, but you've got to be on side with me in doing that and that has to happen efficiently um, it can't just be you know threatening to walk out or this 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 going back and forth otherwise it just needs to end right now now holding that position can be really powerful I mean, you've got to mean it. Don't, don't use that as a tactic and then kind of come back because then you're just doing what he, what the other person's doing. But holding a position to say like, look, I, I, I don't need to be sitting here um, wasting time with this person uh, while they try and go back and forth with me and, you know, strung on me or whatever. I'm happy to just walk out now, let them know, look, this isn't how I do business. I like things to be more efficient, more effective. I like relationships to be built on um, some soluble element of working together and trust at the start. It's not going that way. I can't see the direction of that occurring. And so I think it's better if we just move on. Um, unless you're amicable to develop, to working with me on this, uh, then we should go several ways and just do that right now. There's a lot of power in that. Because if, they, if, if they're like this with you, if they're holding a position and they're just sticking to that position and there's no... There's no looking to want to, you know, involve themselves in, well, how can we make the pie bigger? That's how I always like to think about it. You know, people argue over a pie and they say, I want three-fifths of that. Well, I want three-fifths of that. Well, how do we make the pie bigger? You know, those sort of conversations are the ones that actually lead to creative, collaborative relationships in the future. And by ignoring it, by not, you know, venturing into that, and it's kind of the same thing I was talking about uh, the other day when I was talking about strategy and making sure that, your marketing department, your advertising department in your business really understands how to define strategy. It's important when negotiating with clients, when discussing you know, future business relationships with them that you see that there is some sort of collaboration to work together and that you can clearly spell out the benefits for both sides. Don't try and undercut someone, as I said just before. Don't try and push, uh, sneak something through or get greedy Think about the relationship in the macro. Try and communicate to them in a way which is both respectful of wanting to work together um, and to show that you want to be efficient and effective and make things happen. Every now and then you're going to come across someone who's just a bit of a dick and you can't avoid that. That's life. But that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily engage with them in a business sense going forward. And it also doesn't mean that that's how you need to, the level that you need to drop to in what you do. So coming back to 
um, those those principles I was talking about about negotiation. When there are many parties, you know, let's say you've got three parties involved in it, positional bargaining is even worse. So already established that it's difficult. It's it's relatively a shit idea to go there when it's just the two of you arguing. If you develop more people in, it becomes more complicated because there are more interests entering the room. And so when you do that, it's important to keep in mind those basic principles. Is what we're doing a wise process? Is it efficient? And how is the relationship maintained? So although it's inconvenient to discuss negotiations in terms of, you know, two people, almost every negotiation involves more than two people. Several different parties may sit at the table or each side may have constituents, higher-ups, boards of directors, committees who may need to deal with. Um, several department parties may sit at the table. It's very unlikely that if I'm going and meeting a potential new client that it's just going to be me and their CEO sitting at the table. Very unlikely. It's happened a few times. But generally speaking, if I'm involved, in, there are already people who are doing some sort of marketing operation in the business, which is no doubt occurs. Um, because all we're talking about when we say that word is just the sale of their product, then there's going to be two, maybe five people there, depending on who they want to keep in the meeting, depending on how valuable they think the meeting is. Or if the first meeting is just with one person, the second meeting may be with five. So if it's a large project, let's say, um, let's say it's just a regular project. Let's just say it's in regular terms so we get an idea of how the negotiation of coming on board, so bringing a new client on might go. So the first discussion is with uh, the first point of contact. Maybe it's the CEO, maybe it's the head of the marketing department, maybe it's whoever. Um, and that's the initial pitch. That's the, your initial discussion to, you know, uh, mark why it's effective, why you should have a relationship together, how they can benefit from you, um, you know, what all the ins and outs of your services are and what you do. And then finally, um, <clears throat> what the price point is. So this is where everything I do and how much is it going to cost? It's going to, we work on a monthly basis uh, with a initial 12 month um, contract. So 12 months in order to get a platform or to get a series of tasks up and running, develop all the communication strategies and then start implementing them and having them become a part of the wallpaper, um, a part of the business strategy and then having them prove to be malleable and to be shifting and to be focusing on wherever the attention is. So, you know, there's obviously a whole lot in it, but 12 months of uh, effective social media marketing shouldn't be a walk in the park. It should be hard work if it's going to be effective. And so then in the next meeting, you're going to have five people. So this is when it goes from one person to one person and you've got that person over the hurdle and then you're going to find yourself in a room where suddenly you've got five people. An individual person might be there, but then you've got a whole bunch of people from another department. Let's say that you're coming from outside, as you know, like I do, as a social media advertiser um, agency, and, and then I'm dealing with the in-house marketing team. And let's say the in-house marketing team aren't really necessarily up with the times. They're still operating on the idea of banner ads. They're driving SEOs. Um, they're doing poster adverts. They're just not really up to date with where attention really is in the world because that's what they'll taught in college or whatever the reason is or whatever studio they learnt to operate in. Um, you then have to communicate in a way that they become on that they come on board without diminishing 
their stature too much. So essentially, not all the people there are really going to be saving the final say. It's going to come down to one person, maybe two people. But you need to make sure that the people who are making the decision that you're talking to really understand the value that's there, understand how you operate. You need to be very clear about that. Uh, you need to be very clear about what the cost is if they want to have paid media elements to it, what that increasing cost could be, depending on the reach, depending on the uh, the level of involvement. Um, and then you need to go forward from there. But it's important to be really effective about that. And it's important to be so clear. Because when you're in that meeting, there's the, the reality of the, ba- the sign that's hanging in the back of the room is going to say, um, and I'm just using myself as an example through all this nonsense, but it says that the person, the reason that there's someone who's in advertising here talking to us is because our own marketing department isn't up to scratch. I mean, that is the baseline of, of why you're there. And so that's important to consider. And so when you are you know, suddenly negotiating with five people instead of two, sorry, instead of one-on-one, uh, you need to have that sort of delicate nuance in communication strategy. So you need to be pitching in a way that's to the point, that's very matter of fact, but that isn't, you know, coming off as insulting and these people really aren't doing their job. Uh, so let's have several different parties at the table um, and each side may have constituents and, and all the different bits and pieces that come on. The more people involved in the negotiation, the more serious the drawbacks to positional bargain. And what's worse, once they have painfully developed and agreed upon a position, it becomes much harder to change it. So once you've got everyone on the right on the right page, making a change in that is a mission. Um, altering a position proves equally difficult when additional participants are high or higher authorities who, you know, while absent from the table, nevertheless have to give their approval. So being nice isn't an answer. Um, in soft negotiating, the standard moves are to make offers and concessions, to trust. Um, the other um, to be friendly um, and yield as necessary just just to get over the line and avoid confrontation excuse me God damn. okay um i'll give you an idea I'll, gi- I'll give you a couple of examples so an example of soft and then i'll give the corollary of hard uh so uh, example of soft like participants are friends um in hard positional bargaining they're enemies, they're adversaries, they're enemies. Uh, in soft, there's a goal of agreement. In hard, there's a goal of victory. Um, in soft, um, makes concessions to cultivate the relationship. Uh, in hard, you know, you're demanding concessions as a con- as a, uh, a condition of the relationship. So you're not trying to develop it, you're trying to dictate terms of it. Um, trust versus distrust uh, threats versus offers um, you know disclosing the bottom line misleading the bottom line all these things you know are elements of, of why positional bargaining is so stupid but more seriously you know pursuing a soft and friendly form of positional bargaining makes you vulnerable to someone who plays a hard game and you're going to come across them all the time um and I've been victim of that early on, you know, running my own shop, uh, not knowing full well how to most effectively communicate, you know, my position, having the conviction in my value and all that sort of stuff. And you go back to the second podcast to hear me tell a few stories of some mistakes I made on this. 
But you need to stand your ground. You need to know what your value is. And you need to stick to that. And so you've got a product that you know you trust and that you want to market. You will get the right clients. And if you stick to your guns and you can convey effectively what your product is, then you're going to get the right people to be in the right room with you. You know, If they're not the right people, then, then don't push down the hallway. Don't, don't keep going with it. If they can't afford the product, then you need to go to someone who can. And what you do is you don't then cut people off. You open yourself up to others. And that, that, that's one constant consideration that people just neglect. They think, oh, geez, you know, I'm going to miss out on this money. And like I said in the second podcast to talk about this, in my own experience, you get worried about, oh, I'm going to miss out on this contract if this person, if I don't meet their price. You know, so if I don't come down in what I'm asking for. But as soon as you do that, you've completely devalued your product. No, Siri, shut up. As soon as you do that, you have completely devalued your product. It's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential that you know what the value is and that when you're in a position of negotiation, you're just straightforward with that value. That you work with them in the realm of that, but don't devalue yourself. Right? Make the pie bigger. Don't just try and cut it. Don't just try and get the person over the line. You know, make the pie bigger. Get to the point. Get get straight to it. Show them that you're about efficiency and getting the job done. You can communicate all those things in effective negotiation. And if they don't believe that the value's in there, I mean, but you know the value's in there then you've got to communicate that. That's your job. You should be effectively communicating that. If someone's not convinced that a piece of technology you're offering is really going to be the best place and they think that they should still be using more traditional form of media, be happy to stand up and walk out of the room. So thanks, guys. No worries. Um, <coughs> hopefully we're able to work together in the future at some stage. Um, best of luck. You know, leave it at that. Just... You don't, you don't, you're not beholden to them saying yes. I mean, that's the key thing I'm trying to get across. So what's the alternative? Well, you know, it's really a game, but the game of negotiation takes place on two levels. At one level, negotiation, negotiation addresses a substance. At another, it focuses, usually implicitly, uh, on the procedure for dealing with that substance. So the first negotiation may concern your salary, the terms of a lease, you know, uh, the price to be paid or something. But the second negotiation concerns how you re how you negotiate the substantive question uh, by soft positional bargaining, by hard positional bargaining or some other method. Every move you're going to make with negotiation is not only a move that deals with, you know, your rent, your salary, substantive questions. It also helps structure the rules of the game you're playing. So... Your move may serve to keep the negotiations within an ongoing mode or it may constitute a game-changing move. Now, boiled down to the following four points, a straightforward method for negotiation can be used under almost any circumstance. So these points are pretty, pretty fundamental, but here they are. And each point deals with a basic element of negotiation and suggests you know, what you should do about it. So people, separate the people from the problem. 
That's the first point. Interests. Focus on interests, not positions. So what are their interests? How can you find their interests through what you can deliver? Options. That's the third one. Generate a variety of possibilities before deciding what to do. Don't just become stingy. Then you fall back into the position of that positional bargaining relationship. And that's what, not what we want. And the last one's criteria. You know, insist that the result be based on some objective standard that you value. And when interests are directly opposed, the negotiator may be able to obtain a favorable result simply by being stubborn. But the problem is that that method tends to reward intransigence and product arbitrary and produce arbitrary results. I mean, you can counter a negotiator in that scenario by insisting that you know a single say so is not enough, and the agreement must reflect some fair standards. You know, the naked will on either side, or whatever it is. <coughs> And that doesn't mean insisting that the terms be based on the standard that you select, but only that some fair standards such as a market value, an expert opinion, custom, whatever it is, um, determine the outcome. And discussing that criteria rather than what the parties are willing or unwilling to do can defer, you know, you can sift it down to a fair solution. And so... That's a, that's a fourth point dressed down again. Criteria, insist that the result be based on some objective standard. So, look, a basic fact about negotiations, um, which is easy to forget in corporate or international transactions, is you're not dealing with an abstract representative of the other side, you're just dealing with another person. And that's really important because the more complex the situation feels it is or the more um, corporate or the more whatever, it's really important to simplify everything back down. And it's kind of like what I was talking about with regards to strategy the other day. It's important to keep things very simple at a high level so that it remains clear what the objectives are that you're setting and you don't get distracted because you just will not be able to process every single little bit of detail and information. So understanding in broad terms and then delivering that message clearly is the most effective thing you can do to building the value of your brand. And in a negotiation, it's important to always remember that the other person, you, they're just a human being. And that they're, they are, they've got all the insecurities, all the anxieties that you have. So forget about all that shit, just focus on, okay, well, Come, coming back to what we talked about earlier, how efficient can this be, the relationship and other decisions that we're making together wise ones. You know, what are our interests? How can we focus on delivering to our interests? These are really important things because being able to understand in what ways you can develop the skill of negotiation, um, you know, better over time, the more you're going to be able to grow your business. But 
more to the point, you will determine a lot about the relationships that you keep and you will determine a lot about uh, the relationships within your own business. Um, in, in instructing about strategy to your staff, your colleagues, uh, we're talking you know, yesterday about picking apart the marketing team and asking them if they understood, can communicate what strategy is, what their strategies are, why they would change the strategy, how they uh, determine what the best course of action is and if they can explain to you what strategy is in a very short, you know, simple grouping of words. In the same way, you need to develop their ability to understand how to think about negotiation, how to think about uh, getting something over the line, you know, and when to say no, and when to walk away and to be actively involved in these sort of decisions because the more that you involve someone and develop their skill levels and their abilities, the more, you know, engaged they are going to be in the work. Otherwise, you're still leaving them in a, in a state of being an Ottoman uh, to just be doing task-oriented things and it doesn't matter whether they're a, a chartered accountant or... or um, whether they are in a marketing department or in HR or whatever it is, but for them to have an understanding of communication and direction, uh, you will do better on every level. So that needs to be communicated really effectively to your heads of department or whoever you've got doing particular jobs. Let's say you've just got a five-man shop and everyone's got a, a job to do in that five-man shop. Teaching them about these these base, basic principles, negotiation, um, strategy, um, communication. It's going to pay dividends because as you're able to grow through those skills paying off and you hire more staff, those people rising in the company will then want to exchange those skills as well because they can see the, the benefits of them in the long term. And it means that you develop your brand in such a way that the people who do work with you understand that, well, these guys are really effective, they're really efficient, they understand what their product is, um, they're very clear and they're very concise in the way they communicate it, um, they're fair, they're even-minded, uh, they're balanced, they're measured, we trust them when we're doing work with them because there's nothing undermining there, it's all just straight to the point um, and very clear cut. They're creative in their strategies. They're constantly thinking of new and innovative ways to do things. Suddenly you've got people knocking on your door and saying, Jay, I really want to work there because that's exciting. That's an interesting place to, to operate. Those are really good base principles to run the business on. And that stuff's all really important. Okay. Well, uh, I figured today and with a bit of music so i'm gonna play just because because by a friend of mine charlie keller good musician out of byron bay used to live with him back when i surfed and made coffee and did not much else back in the day oh god i miss it <laughs> but anyway um thanks for listening here it is and next time i'll be talking about i've got no idea Whatever it is I'll talk about. But I'll make sure that it's as useful as possible. And if it isn't, then just pay it forward. There's always going to be someone that's going to be interested in hearing something about anything. Okay, cheers. See you later.